I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Seifu. And sadly, we must, we must start with the news of the vote that occurred about a week ago. 57% of the voters were incorrect in saying that Taisei's alphabet team, which comprised of the letters, if I recall, S, A, U, E, Q, T, and M, was somehow superior to my versatile and well-constructed team of L, R, G, F, O, N, and P. So I just want to say to everyone who voted for Taisei's team, uh, you're wrong. And you should have voted for mine instead. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised it was actually even that close. Um, I think any anyone with a rational mind would see that. As I said repeatedly, the vibes were better. The eye test worked. Um, so, uh, yeah, shout out to those fans out there who uh, voted for me. Because you're absolutely correct. And uh, we'll, we'll keep the streak going in our next draft. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I heard a fan who, uh, who recommended that we shouldn't keep the, put the poll up, like, right after the episode is published. Because the last only like 24 hours, right? Gives them oh, more time okay. for people to listen. So that's something to keep in mind, I guess. But uh, regardless, idea. even if we had more voters, uh, I would have still kicked your ass. So, um, all right, moving on. Those of you who voted for... Yeah? Those, wait, I'm not done. I'm not done on this. Okay. Those of you who He's voted for... Bad alphabet. Those okay. of you who voted for my team, the the minority, the the silenced, I see you... I hear you. I stand with you. We will bounce back from this. Anyway. Uh, okay, before we get into the Canadians games, uh, I wanted to mention a dream I had last night about the Canadians. Uh, and I woke up and I was like, I had a dream about the Canadians. What was it? What happened? And then I remembered. Uh, it was a trade dream, which I have from time to time. Uh, it was a trade the Canadians won convincingly because they traded some minor league player who doesn't even exist named like like Sean Byrne or something. Not Sean Burke, who we will talk about. It was just like a, a nothing name uh, for David Craigie. And I was like, wow, that's pretty sick. Uh, that was the dream. Okay. Um, wow. Any thoughts on I'm that sure fictional Bruins... deal? Um, I mean, I don't know what the Bruins are thinking. But uh, hey, maybe maybe they're calling it's time for a rebuild, you know? Uh, I, but sure. And it seems universe. like a steal. If you ask me. Farewell, Aaron Byrne. So yeah, the Habs games. Three of them, two and one, but uh, you know, it was a winning week, but it doesn't feel so uh, satisfying, you know. None of it felt particularly good because I think the halves have come down to earth, and maybe they're kind of settling into, you know, Ducharme's new coaching ways, and they're kind of settling into where they probably should be, which is like, you know, solidly below Toronto and like mixing it up with like Edmonton and your uh, Winnipeg Jets. So yeah, they uh, they finished two and one. And so, yeah, where do you want to start? Uh, do we start with the, the overtime uh, complete failures? Do we, where do we go? Let's, let's start at the beginning of the week um, with the first game against Ottawa. A 3-1 win. It was 2-1 until Tyler Toffoli's empty net goal. Um, and, I mean, the, it, kind of, it didn't feel so great to beat the Senators. It was kind of just more like a sigh of relief that they didn't lose them for the fourth time. But the big news of that game was a goalie coach they got camilleried in the middle of the game. It was at the second intermission or maybe like even the middle of the second period. Uh, Stefan Waite, who had been the goalie coach for the Canadians since 2014, since like before we started high school, was fired. And it was in the middle of the game, which a lot of people were, you know, all up in arms about. Uh, and they replaced him immediately 
with Sean Burke in 1997. You've probably heard about this. He was arrested for assaulting his wife or his his then wife, which is a total disaster. And I I looked around. I couldn't find any sort of documented remorse. What happened is he was fined $200, 18 months probation, and then completed an educational program on domestic violence. Maybe that educational program really worked. I would hope so. Uh, And maybe there's been some sort of behind the scenes rehabilitation or apology that just hasn't been made public. I would hope so. Uh, But I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But alas, he works for the Canadians now. And uh, yeah, he's actually been working for them since 2016 uh, as a professional scout. Seems to be quite the scumbag, but uh, you know what it is. It's like hockey's got a suspect history of hiring suspect people, suspect histories and things like that. And this is no different, right? He, well, he was a, he was a goalie back in the, or like he used to play in the NHL. Right. And so, you know, you see that cycle, old players become, you know, members of coaching staffs if they want to, and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, is he a shitbag for being a domestic abuser in the past? It seems to be the case uh, since, like, I think you told me before that he admitted guilty to the whole thing. So, uh, you know, not a great look, to say the least, on that front. Uh, and when it comes to the the firing of, uh, you know, Stefan Waite, um, yeah, it's interesting, eh? Like, like the whole middle of the game thing, like, what, what, what was Bergevin thinking there? Like, did he have an epiphany? Like midway through this, like after the second period, like ah shit, you know what it was? It was the goalie coach all along. God damn it, um, you know like <laughs> and the funny thing was it wasn't even like it wasn't even like Price was playing poorly against the Senators. It was like he had like a solid game. Granted, it's the Senators, so you should be having great. Everybody should be having great games against the Senators, but um, yeah, it was uh, a <laughs> I don't know the whole mid game thing. You know, like it's it's funny. Like you you wonder what's going on in Bergevin's head as he realizes. You know, I'm not even gonna. I'm not letting him like coach the goalie for the third period. Screw it. Uh, I'm not, I'm I'm firing in mid game. Um, so uh, that that whole situation is kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, the Stefan Wade's been there forever, right? Like he's been always a goalie coach. He's been like the guy for with Price. He's been working for Price basically for uh, like six years now. And so you know, maybe he needed a shake up. I don't I don't know. Like I don't know how uh, how important the goalie coach is to the whole thing and. Like, granted, you know, the goaltending has not been good when it comes to Carey Price and the theory. I've read a theory on Twitter that, like, you know, maybe the goal, the coaching wasn't so good and, like, Price has been regressing, although that just might be because of age. And the reason Allen has been pretty, like, this good is that he hasn't really had much time to learn, you know, the, the Stefan Waite way. Uh, and, like, he's, bringing, he's carrying over success from the Blues. I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, just, I, I guess we'll see what it's like moving forward. But, uh well, I, I guess I guess the goaltending uh, aspect needed a shakeup because I mean, frankly, Price has been dog shit this year, and we've talked about it. So you know, maybe you needed a, a little mid-game firing to to fire up the the, the goaltending room. Yeah, I remember Stefan Wait when he was when he was hired in 2014. His first full season with Price was the Vezina Hart year, and we were. I remember at least I was thinking like Stefan Wait, he's the the goalie wizard. He's a magician. And no, Carey Price will never get worse under his watch. And but I think it's kind of, it's kind of amazing that he was stuck around for this long. But people talk about like with any type of coach, um, it'll just kind of like the voice will start to matter less and less as they say the same things over and over again. You know, you say any word over and over again that it loses its meaning. That type of thing. That type of phenomenon. So yeah, Sean Burke comes in. 
new goalie coach. And I mean, overtime loss and then a 7-1 win. I don't see that much of a change yet, but it took a second with Ducharme as well. Um, I want to point out uh, in the Senators game, first of all, the firing. Um, I got to hand it to Mark Bergevin. Uh, something I've mentioned before is that he doesn't care at all about optics, which is very nice. Uh, it's very nice that, you know, he's like, eh, yeah, I've made up my mind. I'll fire him. And it's not like that just came out of nowhere in the middle of the game. I'm sure he had been going back and forth with the decision for at least a little while leading into that. And he just kind of was thinking to himself, watching hockey, and then he just made up his mind. So he did it. And, you know, and the fact that he was the one who came out after the game and because the press release only happened after the game. So if he hadn't said anything, everyone would have assumed it happened after the game. And he was like, no, no, it was the middle of the game. And he just doesn't really care that everyone was like, what are you doing right in the middle of the game? And you know what? Like, neither do I. Like, what was Stefan Wade doing during the game? Uh, I, I don't think he, like, talks to Price between periods or at, uh, at whistles or commercial breaks. I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong. But the fact that he was like, yeah, you know what? I'll just do it now. And I don't really care that other people think it's weird is uh, commendable. Yeah. You know what? Um, if you have that epiphany mid-game, good for you. Fire the guy. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right, actually, with the the whole, uh, you know, the, the, the coach's voice doesn't, it, it gets, it doesn't hold so much power the longer you go. And six years, is, you're right. It's a very long time. And uh, yeah, you need, sometimes, you know, the game, especially if you have like success at the beginning as uh, you know price and weight did at the in 2015 well sometimes you know you can kind of rest comfy on your laurels maybe the game passes you by a bit i don't know exactly what went on but uh you know fresh voice i don't think it can hurt that much considering how bad price has been so uh you know i uh i welcome the change do i welcome the newcomer not so much but uh i welcome the change this is where i'm gonna leave it at you know i feel like mark bergevin kind of has this fantasy of being perceived as like the crazy madman mastermind genius who just like wears funny suits and fires coaches mid-game and does things at like odd times and in ways that no one has ever thought of and then it works the problem is that it hasn't really worked so far uh but if i had to get a gauge on mark bergeron's personality after so much time that's kind of the vibe i'm getting uh, before we move on from yeah. that Sens game, uh, mm-hmm. I want to point out, I think I mentioned this to you, a fun little activity I actually did during that game that I had thought of the week before. Because, obviously, those broadcasters on uh, TSN, on Sportsnet, wherever you're watching the game, they say players' names a lot. And so I was like, I wonder which players' names they say the most. So during after, before the Sens-Canadians game on Tuesday, I printed up a double-sided piece of paper one side was the everyone who's playing for the Canadians. One side was the Sens. And I had little uh, like little tally charts next to each player's name. And every time either broadcaster said any of the players' names, I added the tally. And I wanted to see what players' names they say the most. And I mentioned this to you. For anyone who's interested, um, the leaders in mentions were Thomas Shabbat and Tim Stutzla, who had 63 mentions each. Uh, from I, I tallied from... Each period when the puck drops until the end, including uh, in between whistles. And actually, there were five senators, uh, Shabbat, Stutzla, Joey Decord, Drake Batherson, and Brady Kachuk, who each had more mentions than the most mentioned Montreal Canadian, which was Jesperi Kotkaniemi at 44. So even though the Canadians won that game, the senators were uh, 
decidedly the more talked about team, which I can't really blame them for because they had been more fun to talk about leading into that game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. They're young and they're, they they got the upsets going. You know, they're being Calgary. Uh, they got Calgary to fire their coach. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, and also, I think I thought about it and it's like, you know, the, the, who's watching? Like, the, I guess you're watching what? Like the Sportsnet or TSN broadcast or something? Um, yeah. I don't think TSN. Yeah, right. So, like... Who's watching those games? Uh, like, inter- like, you know, like the Ottawa fans, mostly Anglophone. All of them are watching the Anglo broadcast. Meanwhile, has fans, a lot of them are Francophone, right? And so, you know, probably watching the RDS broadcast. And so, you know, there are probably more uh, Ottawa Senators fans watching. I thought about it, and that's probably right because, uh, you know, there are a lot of French fans uh, that, that trip for the Habs. Anyways, uh, but yeah, that whole game, you know, it just, it, it felt too close. It felt freaking too close, you know? It's like, well, it, it's certainly better than losing, which they've done to the Senators. But, like, the whole thing with, like, playing the Senators, man, it's like you're uncomfortable the entire game. And we should be 7 one them like we did the Jets yesterday. But uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, what is it with these halves against the Senators? Is it really some voodoo magic that's going on? Um, or, the, or the halves just not that much better than the Sens? Was it dumb decision? I think you had a tweet after the Canadians lost the to the sense for the first time this season which at that time they had still been playing like a juggernaut or whatever and all of a sudden the sense beat them and he said like the canadians weakness is whoever happens to be the worst team in the nhl at that point because remember they lost to the red wings four times in a row last year they struggled against the sense then when they lost to the sense again he quoted it like evergreen tweet or something like that <laughs> um <laughs> but anyway uh next game they lost to the Jets in overtime on Thursday night, and we need to talk about how Montreal sucks at overtime and how it doesn't really seem like a fluke. Uh, they I mean they had a couple chances to win it on Thursday. They could have, but they didn't. But the all the other games that went to overtime, I didn't make note of them, but they're zero and four in overtime this season, plus zero and two in the shootout, uh, which adds up to six loser points. And I remember several occasions of the overtime games this past season where it looked like Montreal had no chance. Toronto in the season opener was like, all right, it was nice that we got here, but I mean, look at the Maple Leafs. They're going to destroy us on three on three. Are you kidding? And it doesn't really help that first Claude Julien, now Dominic Ducharme, have made some some questionable personnel decisions on who to play in overtime. I know they started out with like Philip Dano and Paul Byron a couple times. I know Paul Byron's fast, but like really overtime, you're putting Paul Byron out there. Ben Sherratt's getting on the ice in overtime. It's very, very strange. And I mean, and it, and it kind of shows because so many times they'll like, they'll try to like score in an odd man rush and take a shot and it won't work. Then the other team will hold onto the puck for like a minute and a half and get three scoring chances. Montreal will take it back the other way, have like one low danger shot, and then it'll happen all over again. Yeah, it looks completely lopsided. The entire, even against the Senators. Remember that Senators game a couple weeks ago? It was uh, it was terrible. They were completely hemmed in their zone by the freaking Senators. How are we losing at three on three? All right, and clearly the being clearly the worst team out of the two against the Sens. It's completely outrageous. Like it was the strategy, um, the deployment, and it's it's just all completely whack. Like I I feel like the entire time they're playing scared. You know, uh, they're not playing aggressive at all. They get all like especially in their own zone. They're all like you know in that triangle, and they're not really attacking the puck at all. And it's just like the the other team does it whatever the hell they want. Uh, they pass it laterally, and then inevitably goes in the net because 
that's what you expect when you play like the worst team. You play scared. Um, and it doesn't look like you want to win. It just looks like you want to survive five minutes. Uh, and it really doesn't help like the, who's on the ice, right? Like, man, it's such a, it's such a, you have slow guys like Sherrod. Um, so that's not good. But also you have fast guys who aren't very good compared to the rest of you, you know, like who else, who, like the other people you could deploy, like Paul Byron, as you mentioned. Um, you know, it just doesn't make much sense. Like, are you trying, if you want to go speed, 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 sure, man, maybe that works for you. But don't half-ass and put fucking Ben Sherrod on the ice. Uh, who doesn't do anything for you at three on three? Um, you know, I would go three forwards. I would put your three best forwards on and just keep rolling. And and the, you know, the halves are deep at forward. There's really no reason for any sort of defensive action here because they're trying to win the game, they're trying to freaking win the game. Uh, and it seems that even with a defenseman, they get hemmed in their zone anyways. So like, what the hell's the point? Um, and yeah, they also look lost. They don't know what they're doing in the defensive zone either on the overtimes. You know, they're running into each other, and that I think that's happened a couple of times now. Like uh, the other team's closing in, and like. Two halves players run into each other on their when they mix up their assignments and then like they score. Uh, so you know it's just mm-hmm. it's definitely not a fluke is what I'm saying. It's like a whole strategic failure, you know, personnel failure. And when they do lose, yeah, you're not surprised at all. And uh, at this point, I don't think anybody is right. I saw Dom tweet about the the uh, the halves in overtime. He's like, yeah, the halves made it in overtime. I think he bet on them or something. And uh, but I like he's like, yeah, they're gonna lose in overtime anyways. And and lo and behold, they did. So. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's something that if you're, you're, you're watching, you see clearly there's no chance in hell they're going to win this game because uh, they're just the worst team. They don't know how to play on three on three, and it's costing them points. Yeah, the Jets used three forwards. They started the overtime with uh, their top line, Shifley, Stasny, Wheeler, and after their first shift, out came the second line, Dubois, Connor, Ehlers. And the first time they played the Jets and lost in overtime uh, was not this week, but last week. Uh, on Saturday, the 2-1 overtime loss, they did the same thing. They started out with that that forward line, three forwards, and Ducharme started Philip Dano because Philip Dano is his go-to face-off man, which, sure. And his plan apparently was Dano wins the face-off, and then right away they get out like the top four was like Suzuki and Toffoli or something. And he said, oh, we were going to make them pay. We're having three forwards on the ice. No defense, but wow, forwards have no idea how to play defense. Yeah, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Paul Stasny. Yeah, they're totally lost in their own zone and totally hopeless against Suzuki, Toffoli, and Petrie. It was just, just this very strange mindset of like, oh, they don't have enough defensemen on the ice. How will they ever survive in their own zone? Like, forwards aren't totally clueless. Like, they know how to defend. Um, And honestly, I think that's a great idea for Montreal to try and move towards that strategy of three forwards in overtime, not because their forwards are as good as Winnipeg's forwards, but because their defensemen, besides Jeff Petrie and maybe Shea Weber, aren't really three-on-three style defensemen, especially like Ben Sherratt, Joel Edmondson. Are you kidding me? Um, and so if you start out overtime with like Dano Tatar Gallagher, who was, was dominant yesterday, and they're a great line, of course they're going to be they barely I don't think they gave up like any 5 on 5 goals for like long stretches over their time together. So that would be a great line to throw out in overtime. Kakanyemi to Foley Anderson. I was so happy to see Kakanyemi finally get two great goal scoring wingers and it worked yesterday. You throw that line out there in overtime, it should work totally fine. So yeah, I think this is definitely something Montreal should try. I wouldn't be so disappointed if Jeff Petrie was the only defenseman who ever saw ice for Montreal in overtime on the shifts where you want to go two forwards, one D, you throw Petrie out there, then get out there, then get out another forward line. 
Yeah, because you're losing so much by, by you know, having that defenseman out there. And he talks about, oh, what are they going to do? How are they going to be in their own zone? Well, like, how are the Habs doing in their own zone? They're completely awful, even with that defenseman. So it doesn't, it doesn't, like, you're not losing anything by taking off that defenseman. In fact, I'd argue you're, you're definitely gaining offensive potential uh, and speed. Because, uh, yeah, Chibetra has no business being out there in overtime. He brings absolutely nothing. He brings nothing. Like, uh, it, it's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, that kind of mindset is uh, is stupid, is what it is. Like, oh, we're going to make him pay for having no defenseman. Well, you can't do shit in your defensive zone either. Uh, and lo and behold, you know, I'd much rather have, like, one-on-one. Who am I taking, Nick Ehlers or Ben Chirot? I'm taking Nick Ehlers 1,000 out of, uh, you know, 1,000 times. You know, it's just, uh, it doesn't make sense, man. Like, where is he, where is he getting these coaching philosophies? It, it, it seems almost, uh, it seems ridiculous. It's probably a pretty bad sign. That we're already ragging on Dominic Ducharme after a week and a half. Because nope. uh, a lot of times with new coaches, there'll be a little bit of a honeymoon period where fans would be like, oh, yeah, let him try new things. Uh, yeah, let him, you know, figure it, figure it out. Oh, look, he's trying this new tactic. That's interesting. And then a couple months go by and it's like, oh, he's still doing that new tactic, even though it hasn't worked. And then like two years later, it's like, oh, here he goes, idiot coach, doing putting... Ben Sherrod out there and three on three again. What what's he on? Uh so I mean, I'm still he's still in his honeymoon phase. It's been a week and a half, and we are pointing out mistakes he's made. And I'm sure he's constantly thinking about every choice he's made and seeing does it work, does it not work? And I'm t- totally hundred percent willing to give him some time to correct himself. Yeah, I'll give him some time, but you know, given like his previous answer, I wouldn't give him such a long leash, you know? Uh because yeah, as I said, I have I held uh, Claude Julien in very high esteem as a coach, and I mean we might just be getting like a a poor man's Claude Julien if uh, their coaching styles are similar. He can't you know produce the same results at five on five and can't improve the three on three or the power play or anything like that. Uh, so you know, yeah, I'll give him a shot. Uh, I'll give him the rest of the season, heck. But uh, as I said, it was, it's a questionable decision for Bergevin, I would think, to like kind of hang his hat on this dude um, when there are. You know, better options, I'd argue, more uh, proven options on the coaching market. But, uh, you know, I guess I guess he's what we've got now, and Bergevin seems to be sticking with him. Mm-hmm. Ben Chirot, we've mentioned his name a couple times. Uh, it's time to scale back his minutes, please. He's been very bad as of late. Uh, and for some reason, uh, splitting him up from Shea Weber is something that I guess has never occurred to Dominic Ducharme or even Claude Julien dating back to last season. Sherrod Weber has been the top pair uh, for a long time, and they've been pretty bad the last couple games. Uh, so I say scale back Sherrod's minutes. Uh, maybe let him play on the bottom pair a bit, see if he can rediscover himself, and boost up Brett Kulak. Let him play a little more because he's doing just fine, in my opinion. Anyway, I want before I move on from the Habs, I want to talk about Tatar and Dano. Give a little update on their situation because, of course, uh, last offseason we were talking about four pending UFAs from Montreal. Those two plus Gallagher plus Petrie. They extend Petrie and Gallagher uh, before the season even starts. Uh, they offered Dano a big fat contract that he turned down uh, that was, I think, six years, $5 million a year. Uh, good luck getting that elsewhere, Philip Dano, especially during the pandemic, and especially due to the fact that you still haven't scored a goal and we're almost halfway done the season. So I am pretty confident now that neither Dano or Tatar are going to be coming back. I was thinking that during the week. I was like, yeah, Dano uh, has 
scored not at all this year. Tataro's a healthy scratch one time. He started off hot, but now he's been just okay. And, I mean, they were both great yesterday. They were, Tatar and O'Gallagher rediscovered their magic in that in that 7-1 win. But I'm still kind of going to stick to my guns on that one. One game won't really change my opinion on that. I don't think either one of them will be returning. Tatar, because, I mean, there's so many wingers on this team, plus Cole Caulfield in the system. He's been tearing it up in Wisconsin. Uh, he has, like, almost a goal a game. Wisconsin just won the Big Ten. Caulfield might win the Hobie Baker. He'll probably be in the, in the NHL, like, this season. And Philip Dano, I mean, if he wants to stick around in, like, a third-line role for cheap as a defensive specialist, maybe. But as we've talked about before, doesn't seem like he wants to. So I don't really see a fit for either one of them long-term in Montreal. No, like Dano, I think like he's made it clear that that whole defensive specialist thing on the cheap, that's like the thing that he wants the least, right? So uh, I, I, like he said in interviews and that kind of thing, he wants to be that offensive guy. Uh, is he that offensive guy any anymore? I don't know. Uh, completely, like he's been stake-bitten all year. Uh, and uh, frankly, he hasn't been very good either. So, you know, there's a combination of that. So, uh, yeah, and he doesn't seem to, he doesn't want us, he doesn't seem to be uh, wanting to stay past the season. And sure, man. Try to go somewhere else, but yeah, you said it. Like, where are you getting that contract elsewhere? You know, how are the Habs offering him that contract anymore? I think the answer is no, because, uh, given the half season that he's had so far. And when it comes to Tatar, yeah, you're right. There's no, there's no need to pay this guy too much money. I think he's gonna get, I think he's gonna get a nice, solid, chunky deal. He's probably gonna get paid too much. He's already 30 years old, and he scores goals. You know, uh, and when he's on, he's on. Uh, was you know, like yeah, he was scratched, but like he's been pretty. He's not. He's been not bad the, the last week. Uh, he's come back, it seems, you know, uh, with some motivation after that healthy scratch. And, uh, but yeah, as you said, like, oh my God, Cole Caulfield, he's all over the timeline now. Uh, everybody was re- like all these Leafs fans jealous and railing on him after the world juniors. Well, now I don't see anything on the timeline from them. Uh, what a stud scoring goals left and right. And, uh, yeah, did you see that goal they scored yesterday, uh, from like, uh, the right hash absolute snipe on the power play. You'll have to see it. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's just no space. We have too many wingers and overpaying a 30 year old who can get hot and cold and who is nothing really special. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, and yeah, he's 30 years old, man. What are you going to do? Give him four years. That makes no freaking sense. Um, and yeah, no, he doesn't, doesn't want to stay. He doesn't want to stay and I've let it go. Is he a very valuable piece? Sure. But I think he's on the decline. Maybe he was regressing. I don't know what it is, but, uh, I think you're right. I don't think either of these com- guys are coming back, uh, even on cheap deals, because I think I think they'll get bigger contracts elsewhere. Maybe not Deno, but I think Tatar is going to get a nice one, uh, given his scoring ability recently in Montreal. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that front. Phil Deno, he did get two assists yesterday in that fun outburst, 7-1, to, to boost his totals on the season to zero goals, 10 yeah, assists passes. in 23 games. Yeah, they were they were pretty nice. Uh, so, so good for him on that front. I want to talk about, uh, the line adjustments made by Ducharme because I really liked them in yesterday's game. One big complaint that a lot of people, including me, have had about, uh, the way Claude Julien constructed his lines was Kakanyemi and his third line position, which is where he's been for pretty much his entire Habs tenure. Uh, he got, uh, wingers who were fine, fine defensively, not much to write home about offensively in the mold of Arturi Lekkonen, Yoel Armia. Paul Byron, Corey Perry. Sometimes he would play a little bit with Jonathan Drouin. And now he decides, all right, I'm going to give Kalkanemi a big chance to play with our top two goal scorers on the season, Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson. And I was like, yes, 
yes, this is great. This is wonderful. And it, it worked out. I mean, they got uh, that opening goal of the game. It was kind of a fluke bounce off the boards. But, you know, when you put together a line of, of good players, like if that was, I don't know, Armia or Corey Perry on that line instead of Josh Anderson, would he have been in that position, that goal scorer's instinct? I don't know. But Josh Anderson was there, and he buried the goal. Uh, Tyler Toffoli had a two-point game. So the offense came from that line. The offense came from uh, the Dano Gallagher-Tatar line. And, uh, yeah, everyone was just firing on all cylinders yesterday on those two lines. And, and you know what? I th- I really do like this roster construction. I think uh, even that suzuki Joy armia line, I like the way it's constructed. You know, I think Joy is having a fantastic season. Uh, probably the best in a while now. And, yeah, his playmaking abilities. I think Suzuki needs to shoot more. Um, I think he's got a great shot. And I, also, I think he passes it too much. Uh, and, like, you know, if he can uh, shoot more... Have Joy on the wings, and then Army is like a solid guy. He's like a guy at this point. Um, and, you know, I think it could work. I think uh, it's a new line, so I give him some time. But I think the way, you know, if we give, I, I would give credit to Ducharme for this one. Uh, it does seem to really make sense. And, uh, you know, Josh Anderson's been really freaking good. Uh, and he was yep. out for a while, and he comes back, and he looks absolutely fantastic, uh, both on the score sheet, but also just like you watch him, you watch him play. He's speedy, man. He's freaking speedy. He's faster than I thought he was. And we, we've been talking about that all season at this point, basically. Um, and yeah, good for him. Completely uh, overshot my expectations for the dude. And uh, I would gladly give up that third round pick that we gave on top of Max Domi at this point. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. I bet Mark Bergevin, he loves those deals where everyone thinks he lost. He, brought, he probably likes those even more than ones where everyone thinks he won and then he won. He much prefers oh, the yeah. one. He he probably feels like like Bill fucking Belichick. Like, I acquire the one goal <laughs> scorer and he becomes 15 goal scorer. Something ridiculous like that. He's like, ah, yes. Like a like a witch mixing a bowl of soup or whatever a witch does. Um, yeah, like it fits his madman personality that he seems to think he has. You know, like mad genius. Like, ooh, look at me. You know, everybody thought Weber for Subban was a terrible deal. Oh, look at me now. Subban's in fucking New Jersey playing poorly. Um, but like, the we've fact won is, one whole qualifying win. round. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I, I do agree. He probably likes showing up the media and the fan base. Like those kind of trades. I think he definitely takes enjoyment in it. And, uh, well, I mean, that's why he keeps doing these, these like trades that, that seem suspect. And then, uh, you know, and even these signings, right? You have your, your Sherrod and your Edmondson. Um, it's yeah, just, those haven't worked out yeah. quite as well as the Josh Anderson trade, but no, 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 not at all. Uh, but uh, he does, yeah, yeah. You put it nicely. I think the whole mad scientist slash genius persona that I think he thinks he has. I think his time is coming, though. <laughs> I think his time is coming. I think his experiment's about to blow up. I want to talk about Drew and like a little bit for before we move on to other stuff. Uh, because sure. he, I think, because Ducharme used to be his coach in junior with the Mooseheads. And it looks like that was kind of exactly what he needed to kind of rediscover his step because I've definitely seen the most decided improvement of any player. It's been him uh, ever since Ducharme took over. Uh, He'd been playing next to Suzuki all year, but, you know, as has been the story with him, up and down, you know, flashes of great offense, but many nights where you barely notice him. And every game since Ducharme took over, I've been, look at Drew and go, you know, no terrible turnovers. That's a positive step in the right direction. Uh, and he just looks like a productive offensive player ever since Ducharme took over. Playing next to Suzuki doesn't hurt. And, I mean, if Armia's the leftover right winger after all the line combinations, I don't really 
mind anybody else on the right side if uh, with Suzuki and Drew and at center and left wing. No, they they form an electric combo, and uh, I don't know. Bergevin sure likes that. He'd love to rub that in your face. Uh, ooh, I traded Sergachev for this guy, and uh, look at him now. Um, you know, not to mention that Sergachev's won a cup, but whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah. So yeah, Drew looks uh looks great, and uh, yeah. I don't know what else to add. He looks fantastic next to Suzuki, and it's a solid. You know, I would, I would. Would you call that the, like what's the second and what's the third line at this point? Like, uh, we, well, Suzuki is we listed even, as we care about the second. I don't think anyone really cares with the listing. Uh, no. It seems to kind of just go by default. Like, if Tatarja and Owen Gallagher are together, they'll pretty much always be listed as the first line. Suzuki is yeah. number two. Kakanyemi is number three. Regardless of. Okay. Which wingers they're playing with, but uh, yeah, who All really right. cares Fair about enough. that? Yeah, who really cares? I think it's uh, yeah, it's certainly an interesting blend, eh? Like, Cockney, Emmy, Toffoli, Anderson, like they really put the like that's a real goal scorers line now, and uh, like with uh, Toffoli, Anderson on the wings, and I think yeah, Toffoli's not he keeps scoring too. Like uh, you know, there's been some regression, but uh, yeah, damn. Do you want to move on to Tom Wilson now, Brandon Carlo? Sure. That whole thing, like, wow! All right, Tom okay, so, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to go first with your thoughts on what transpired between the Capitals and Bruins the other day? Okay. Uh, so you know, not 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 the friendliest of rivalries we've got between those two teams, but uh, you know, Tom Tom Wilson does the Tom Wilson thing that he always does. Uh, everybody's trying all his uh, you know, Capitals fans, Capitals social media, they want to paint him as some reformed dude. Uh, but then, like, every so often, like, clockwork, he pulls this kind of dirty-ass bullshit that ends up, like, hurting a guy seriously uh, and because it's a flagrantly dirty hit. And it's what we saw with Brendan Carlo. Uh, there's just, like, he did not, Carlo did not see the hit coming at all, you know, hit his head out for a long time. Uh, when have we seen this before? Um, it just seems to happen every freaking year. Uh like what he's not a repeat offender now because it's been 18 months but i like i would argue he's completely a repeat offender um it's just only a technicality right so he doesn't get that monster suspension uh that multiplier so to speak but uh you know he got seven games without a multiplier that's pretty significant right uh it's like the the biggest suspension we've seen so far in the season uh from the dops and you know i'm kind of told because it is the right call you know to suspend him for seven games but also, you can sense that the DOPS is only really doing this. If well, I feel that's my feeling. This impression I'm getting is that they're doing this a lot because of the public image and the reputation Tom Wilson has more than anything. And if it's any other guy, does he get seven games? Looking at the precedent that they've set this season, I really don't think so. Uh, well, yeah, Tom Wilson isn't technically a repeat offender, but it's only for fines that. Yeah, yeah I'm saying what you said. Uh, that okay. it's only taken into account. Uh, officially for fines uh, as a multiplier. Oh, okay. I see. And so for this game, if he were a repeat offender, then that would be a multiplier for the games as well. But even though it was more than 18 months ago, his last suspension, that history still can be unofficially taken into account. Uh, I think that's, I think it was like Frank Saravelli maybe was explaining how like, it's not like they have to imagine he never did anything wrong just because he's not technically a repeat offender. So, okay. uh, that, so Tom Wilson's history does matter, and man, it just looks gross. It looks like an intent to 
give him a concussion to Brandon Carlo. Like, there's no other way that I can watch that and be like, oh, yeah, it was a fluke. It was an accident, not the main point of contact. Like, get out of here with that stuff. Uh, and, okay, um, some Capitals fans were kind of, like, taking it way too – no, not Capitals fans, sorry, Bruins fans were taking it too far and suggesting retaliation. Oh, you got to – you got to hit Wilson in the head. That's that's just as gross. Like, no, don't do that. But, I mean, just looking at it from – let's look at Tom Wilson for a second because he has been this type of player for his entire career, even before he got into the NHL, um, where every now and then he'll just deliver a gross predatory hit out of nowhere. And it's like, where did that come from? And, man, I just can't help but think that, like, Tom Wilson – constantly every time he plays has to suppress his urges to like take big swings at everyone's heads like a like a, a caveman or whatever and it's just like constantly he's like oh must do a clean hit and then you know every year every year and a half or so it comes out and he's just like can't hold it in and he just lets it all out on one player uh which is absolutely an indictment on him and his personality the fact that his natural form and natural instinct is to aim for the opponent's head. It's gross. Seven games, appropriate. Uh, I wish that we saw NHL player safety uh, be this firm on a more consistent basis with this type of hit. This is much worse than that Tyler Myers hit on Armia earlier this year, but I got nothing. Are you kidding me? Nothing for that Myers hit? Not even a game? So if that was Wilson who made that hit because uh, because of his past, I, he would have gotten some kind of suspension, I'm sure of it. And so I want that kind of punishment sent out to any player who does that kind of thing. Man, it's disturbing. You know, you, it's like you're watching it, it's gross. And yeah, he gets hit the, he gets, uh, he gets sent to the hospital and thankfully he's okay. Like he's been released, but like he's not really okay, right? Severe head trauma. He's out for a while, let alone the long-term effects of all that thing, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, yeah, man, he's a Tom. Tom Wilson clearly has malicious intent when he does this kind of thing. Like it's intentional. This guy sees a like a player in a vulnerable position, and he's like, "Okay, screw it, I'm going full force," you know, and I'm hitting the guy, making sure his head, his head, you know, takes a large part of the impact. And uh, you know, it's yeah, get him out of the game, man. Like, uh, he, well, that's the thing. He he's like he he produces enough offense offensively that like the Capitals are no way they're gonna like do anything with this after the suspension's over but uh like what do you even do at this point with this kind of guy like i guess that the answer is you got to regulate him more strictly you got to be more like you got to be more strict with, with hits the head in general so you have an excuse to like suspend this guy for like half the season and say screw it you're just keep doing this over and over again like enough's enough and like seven games is significant but i just it doesn't feel like enough of a deterrent you know because this was so this was so uh, malicious, it seems. Like, you look at the replays, and it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. There's no excuse for this bullshit. So, uh, you know, Tom Wilson, it's it's the thing. It's the same thing. We're always talking about this guy. Uh, like, it seems like every year, you know? Like, uh, man, it's it's the yeah, same like, old freaking story. Yeah? I said seven games was all right. I think that's because the DOPS has lowered my standards so much. Like, yeah, exactly. you know, yep. you suspect, yeah, give them 30 games. Why not? That's totally fine by me. Yeah. Give him the rest of the year, you know, for that that disgusting fit of violence. Uh, Jared Snorty, recent Bruins waiver claim, I think got into a fight with him after, and all the Bruins fans were like, yeah, Jared Snorty, a new Bruin or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
my least favorite part of this because I've been I just put Twitter search Tom Wilson to see what people are saying. Uh, there's some Caps fan who has like uh, a Frank Saravalli screenshot explaining something like, um, "This is not a hearing for a legal check to the head. It's technically a hearing for boarding." Um, and then the next one was Tom Wilson's been suspended for seven games, and apparently he's the first player to technically be suspended for boarding on a hit that wasn't from behind, according to Frank Saravelli. And someone looks at that and says, tell me the league, this is at drunk Tom Wilson. Tell me the league hates Tom Wilson without telling me the league hates Tom Wilson. I'll go first. And as those two screenshots, and oh, is this Tom Wilson's burner? Probably not. No, this is not. Never mind. Um, it has like 4,500 followers and it says parody. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's hiding in plain sight. <laughs> this is some Caps fan Tom Wilson defender who's like, oh, why? That's exactly what they sound like. Uh, so yeah, I don't defend Tom Wilson when he does shit like this because it's gross. And I would have suspended Tom Wilson for the rest of the year. It's just it's he does this stuff every time, right? It's like it's it's completely malicious. That's the that's the most egregious thing, you know. Like it's so. Like, you know, hockey, you know, there's checking and that, that kind of crap is going to happen. But it's always the same dude. He's doing the same thing over and over. Um, how are you only giving him seven games? I think seven games is just not enough. Um, you really think that's going to stop Tom Wilson? I don't think so. Um, because he just keeps freaking doing the same thing. It's just, it's completely absurd to me that the same guy keeps injuring people. Injuring people with intent. Okay, that's what it is. Because And like, you look at the hit and, you know. Is that really is that the difference between boarding and a hit to the head? Like I, when I, when I see that, that looks like a pretty egregious hit to the head to me. Dude. You know, the, 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 I know yeah? you know another thing I hate about this. Did you hear Peter Laviolette's comments or read them? No, I didn't. All right, okay. So defending your players, you know, I in the past I've I've given the benefit of the doubt to coaches who are like, oh yeah, my player doesn't deserve a suspension, but I've changed my mind. Um, be more objective, coaches, and if your player makes a hit like this you should want to punish them as well because if you're all right with having a player who make, does that type of hit on your team uh then i don't want you coaching my team because i don't want any players like that and here's what peter laviolette said he says uh i think someone asked him if he's hopeful or like if tom wilson will be available to play uh on sunday which is today which obviously now he can't he said i guess we're still hopeful i mean to me it was a hockey hit. If this is a suspendable play, then all hitting really is going to probably have to be removed because he didn't take any strides. He didn't target the head. A player was up against the boards. He was upright and Tom hit him hard. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what Peter Laviolette thinks. He thinks that this was a perfectly fine hit uh, and therefore that if everyone does it all the time, we won't have any problems on our hands. Man, like, are you blind? Like, what's going on here? Do you Did you not look at the replay? Um, it's just like, there's no, like, yeah, NHL coaches, they don't want to rock the boat. That's just how they are, right? They're not gonna, can't expect them to, uh, say anything with any sort of, uh, accountability for the players that are, you know, unless it's, unless they're really like, you know, with this kind of hit stuff and suspensions and all that, you're not going to see any of them, uh, criticize their own player. They just don't do that. Uh, and because except uh, on Tortorella, frankly, except except when they when they accidentally don't go off on a line change like Zach Parise, yeah, and exactly. they scratch them. But like no one's ever gonna scratch a player over a dirty hit. This is not how hockey is structured. 
that's what I'm saying. Like that's that's why I specified. You know, when they for they're not gonna they're not gonna criticize the dirty hit, but they'll they'll bench a guy for literally anything else, right? Um, because you know the coaches like it, and that's disgusting. Yes, but they like that stuff. Um, is it psychotic? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's just part of the hog mentality. Oh, you gotta play tough. You gotta play big. You gotta play strong. You gotta hit him hard. You gotta finish your check. Um. You can't you can't say that this not this this stuff isn't you know maybe not explicitly encouraged but at least somewhat implicitly encouraged you know this kind of uh, physicality so to speak especially like even then inevitably gets taken too far as uh, Tom Wilson does over and over. Speaking of coaches, um, Jeff Ward fired by the Flames. How about that for a segue? Not even a full year uh, to coach Calgary. He took through took over halfway through last season and halfway through this season after the Flames were in a terrible slump. Uh, I think they had like a really awful warm up the other night where they were just bumping into each other and flailing pucks into each other's mm. faces by accident. It was just a total nightmare in Calgary. And now Daryl Sutter's taken over and immediately signed to a three year extension. Former Flames coach, former LA Kings coach, won a couple Stanley Cups, one of 200 hockey men, old grizzled veteran man. And uh, so the Flames are going in a new direction. And I mean, this season has to be the the last chance for the Monahan Goudreau core, which is pretty by that I pretty much just mean Monahan and Goudreau. Like if they can't get it done this year, which it doesn't look good, and by get it done, I don't even mean win the Stanley Cup. I mean like not even just get into the playoffs, like win at least one round. Then uh, I mean they've got to be done with with that core and move forward with probably like I don't know. Matthew Kachuk is the number one guy, which I mean, he kind of already is there, but like Monaghan could throw Ming so much money. They're kind of still your top line players. You rely on them for a lot of offense. And it's just kind of like, not, not like a Minnesota wild mediocre where it's like, Oh, we always just barely miss the playoffs, but have like, I don't know, a decent prospect pool. Maybe Calgary has been trying to contend and they've been making the playoffs pretty often. They even won the Western Conference in the regular season a couple of years ago, but they just they can never put it together in the playoffs. And I've never really had any sort of confidence in them and, and being like a Stanley Cup contender. So it's kind of like this is our team. This is what we've built towards. This is what we look like, and it's a team that loses in the first round every year. Yeah, I don't know. Is it, I think it might be too early to like call it quits after this year on Monaghan and Goudreau. You know, or yeah, Goudreau. It's been like, like six years. They're still like what was that? It's been like six years, and they're like, how old? They're like twenty-seven yeah, like, and twenty-five you know, or something. Still... Yeah, exactly. Twenty-seven. That's not old, you know. Like, and, and like, you just gotta add pieces. The problem, I think, has been that they haven't been able to like really build around them. Like, and uh, you know, I'm not saying they've been great in the playoffs and crunch time and all that. Yeah, they've disappointed, you know. But uh, you know, like, I just think like the team around them just hasn't been very fucking good at all. Like, have they ever had good goaltending? No. Like, like even now, like Markstrom's been all right. Uh, and that contract's only getting worse from here on out. Um, it's just like feel. It feels like the whole like the team building. I don't think Brad Living's done a very good job, frankly. You know, like, and I don't. I can't blame Monahan and Gaudreau for that too much. Um, were they? Are they like the elite core or anything? Not even close. Uh, those two. But you know, I just think it's a team building failure more than anything. And like, I I would certainly wouldn't mind having those guys on my top line. You know, it's just the problem is who's who's below them. Like Kachuk's definitely a very nice piece, and you could totally build a future around him. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't tear it down. I would, uh, yeah. But the problem is something needs to change, though, right? You're right. And uh, first of all, hiring straight out of the NHL coaching recycling program is uh, not the way to go. Uh, you're not getting anywhere with that. But uh, it's uh, like you're right. There's there needs to be some sort of change. Like I, 
But when I reset, like, completely, would I ship out Monaghan and Gaudreau? Like, what can you even... I don't know, man. That's a, it's a good question. Like, I don't even... I think he's, they put themselves in a bind. The team's not very good. Like, talk about it. Like, think about it, man. Like, look where they are in the freaking Canadian division right now. They're terrible. They're not, in a, they're not in a playoff spot. They're, like, significantly behind the halves at this point who seem to be hopefully picking it up. Um, and they lost to the fucking Senators twice. Got completely blown out of the water. It's just... Uh, it's it's I don't honestly I don't I wouldn't really even know how to move forward with this team. Um, they probably need to fire the GM. That's what I think. Yeah, I was just gonna say I was because uh, Brad Living's been there for a long time. I think since like around 2014 or so. I think he's the one who drafted Sam Bennett. That was his first draft. Uh, anyway, um, I don't think Monahan and Gaudreau will be traded this offseason if Calgary misses the playoffs because I think they'll fire for Living probably the day right after the season ends. Brad for living, they're going to say, all right, your time's up. Uh, you couldn't get it done. Uh, so goodbye. They bring in someone else. And then whoever the, the new GM is would not blow it up right away. Uh, they'll, you know, they probably sit back for a year, make small changes. Uh, and then if it's another failed season, then you he kind of blows it up, trades Monaghan, trades Goudreau, does whatever else um, they want to do. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of, that's how I see the Flames now. I see them uh, going nowhere fast. And I think the longer they they stake their claim as Monaghan and Goudreau, these are star players, and they have a, a consistent record of playoff failure. The team and those two players specifically, I don't see it ever working out. Yeah, you know what? Maybe that history of failure weighs upon them. But I think at this point in time, like from now and moving forward, it's everywhere else, man. Like the depth freaking sucks. Josh Levo is playing on their second line, and like their bottom six is awful. You signed... James Neal to that awful contract immediately shipped him back to Edmonton. Now you have Milan Lucci for God knows how long, like two more years, I think. And like the goaltending, he's because Markham's 31. I didn't know he was that old. He's already 31, and you have him for six more years. And uh, like there's nobody behind him. And your defense isn't like it's all right. It's all right. You know, Giordano's getting very old. Uh, so uh, I think the team isn't good. I think it's been very poorly constructed. And I think, I think Trilliving's has got to pay. Um, and I don't think <laughs> firing Jeff Ward was the answer. I don't know. I have no gauge on how Jeff Ward was the coach. He can't possibly have been that good. But I don't think Daryl Sutter's going to be that much better either. So uh, it's it's a fundamentally flawed team that uh, that uh, that just can't get it done. And like uh, yeah, that's what it is. All right, want to move on to the team in the Canadian division that's even worse than the Calgary Flames, <laughs> Jim Benning. And his Vancouver Canucks suck. Uh, and Jim Benning, who's been on the job since 2014, has some excuses. Because at that point, there's no reason for Jim Benning to be talking to the media. Because when you're that bad, your, your two options are basically uh, saying, yeah, we suck and it's all my fault. Probably a pretty bad idea. The honesty route. Or you can do what Jim Benning did, which is to come up with explanations for why you suck. And since there are no good explanations besides the fact that you made some mistakes on the job, Jim Benning, uh, they just come across as terrible excuses. Um, one of my favorites, or which I guess is the one that was really making the rounds, uh, was that they were they built this team to play in the Pacific Division, and they weren't planning on playing the, in the Canadian Division, uh, which is why they suck and they lose all the time. And man, if only all the other teams who knew 
that there was going to be a pandemic and they would have restructured the divisions would have told the Canucks because Jim Benning somehow didn't get the memo that everyone was switching divisions this year and everyone else had ahead of time. Uh, my other favorite thing that Jim Benning said after Jim Benning has had seven years to build this team in his image, he thinks the Canucks are going to be real competitive in two years time. Just give him two more years. <laughs> Just give them two more years and, and they'll be good to go after these last seven. Someone put a quote up from uh, that, that said something Jim Benning like, oh, I like the core of this team. I think we can turn it around really fast. And it took me a minute to realize that was from 2014 when he took over. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jim. Um, it's just like, first of all, what does that even mean? I built this team to play in the Pacific. Like, like, like what? I built it with a goal of just scraping by in a wars division. Like, it's like, what does that even mean? Cause you're, it's not like, first of all, even if you did build it for the Pacific in a normal season, if you played in the Pacific, you wouldn't be playing these teams like 10 times a year. Right. So anyways, that's, that's like a fucking world-class stupid excuse. Uh, and yeah, first of all, yeah, the timeline's very convenient for him. I think we're going to be great in two years when uh, Roussel, Beagle and like everybody else's contracts are finally off the books, you know? Um, so that's, that's something that's a very convenient, uh, timeline to have out there. But, uh, and yeah, the fact that he couldn't really adjust, if you can even call it adjusting to the, to the new reality of the Canadian division, it's just completely his own doing, uh, for signing these fucking atrocious contracts. And yes. So really it's just, it's, it's a comedy of errors out there in Vancouver. The team stinks. You've got a great young core, but everybody around them stinks. Uh, and yeah. Now he's trying to he's trying to play the optics game, so to speak, and that's not a good thing for Vancouver. Oh no! And uh, I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting what they see. Do they sell off? Well, like, what do they even have to sell off? Like, are you going to try to offload Antoine Roussel to somebody at the deadline? Like, it's just it's it's too funny. It's too funny. It's why, as we said this entire time, it's just his errors finally coming back to bite him in the ass when it comes to mismanaging the cap and. Uh, yeah, you look at the standings, they're nowhere near the playoffs now. Uh, they have they played five more games than they have at this point. Still below them in the standings. And it's uh it's not happening, but it's 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 certainly funny to see Jim Bailey Jim Benning trying to flail for his job. That quote's hilarious. In two years' time we're gonna be real competitive. Man, if you were to just taken over, maybe say that, but like you just made the second round last year. Everyone knows how terrible you are at your job. Man, I don't know what I would say if I were in that. You know what I would do if I were in that situation? Not have signed all the terrible contracts in the first place. That's how Jim Benning could have not looked so stupid at that press conference a couple days ago. Uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. So ridiculous, Jim Benning. Anyway, um, is it time for your quiz? Or or do we want to look at the standings for a little bit first? So that we haven't really done that. Eh, well, let's do the standings segment. I haven't done it in a couple weeks. Um, sure, let's do it. So uh, let's start in the north. I mean, look, the Leafs are head and shoulders above everyone else in the division. We can laugh all they want, all we want for blowing like a 5-1 lead to the freaking Senators. But, I mean, that's like just a blip. They're just steamrolling everybody. Uh, and the standings bear that out. They're seven points clear of the Jets right now. And the Jets aren't particularly anything special. You know, as we mentioned, 7-1 to the Habs, you lose like that. And uh, they're just a freaking good team. And it seems they've taken a step forward. And now they're, they're, they have like a much easier path to the cup. Man, I'm scared this might be the year the Leafs finally win it all. I'm scared. I was thinking that exact same thing the other day. I was like, they wouldn't actually win, would they? 
But man, I don't know. Uh, it looks like out of any team in the entire league, uh, if I had to pick one team I'm confident in making the conference finals, Toronto's probably the one I'm most comfortable picking. Uh, look how dominant they are in this division. I, I mean, they did just lose two in, the, two in a row to the Canucks after holding McDavid off the score sheet for three games in a row uh, with three different goalies, which was quite the impressive feat. But uh, yeah, Toronto, no question. It looks like they're, they've pretty much got the North Division locked up unless... Eh, I won't say that. I won't say that quite yet. You play the other team so often, it can kind of flip on a dime. Um, but Winnipeg, second place. Montreal, third place by points percentage, even though the Oilers are still two points ahead of them. We have 30 points for Edmonton, 28 for Montreal, but Montreal has three games in hand. Uh, and then there is quite a big jump from the 577 points percentage Edmonton Oilers, who are 15-11-0, no overtime losses for them, to the Flames, fifth place in the division, 11-12-2. So it doesn't look at the moment like they're shaping up to be any super tight battles for the playoffs. Obviously, that can change. It does really look like a clear top four and a, de- uh, a decisive bottom three, Calgary, Vancouver, and of course, the lowly Ottawa Senators, uh, who have three out of eight of their wins against Montreal. Uh, at the moment, that's how things are looking. Yeah, I'd like to take a moment to mourn the 27-point watch. Uh, it's over. The dream is dead, basically. I mean, I blame two teams. And Montreal well, actually, I blame three it, yeah. teams. I blame that. Montreal killed it, first of all. But also, you know, Calgary certainly did, didn't do me any favors there. And the Leafs, you know, blowing the leads. It's not a, it's not a nice look. Um, you take away those wins. I don't even, like, how many wins do the Sens have against, like, the Canucks, Oilers, and Jets combined? It's probably, like, one or two at this point. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, and what? They have 17 points now. They're on track for 34. So, barring extraordinary collapse, which, you know, it's the Senators. So, I'm not, certainly not uh, dismissing it as uh, impossible. It seems very unlikely that the Senators uh, will, will dip below the 27-point watch that we set at the beginning of the season. Now, uh, moving on to the uh, Discover Central, I guess, since uh, sure. that's how they have it here. Uh, so, we have uh, Tampa Bay in first place. Uh, you know, I mean, no Without surprise there. Without Kucherov, but they're still very much a juggernaut. Uh, and Florida, very interesting. You know, uh, they've kind of like they've kind of stuck up. I think earlier in the season we, we mentioned them uh, being up there in the central, but I kind of dismissed it because they played like a bunch of shitty teams at that point in the season. Like they played Chicago and Detroit a bunch of times, but like ah, they seem to be uh, they seem to have uh, kind of gotten it together. You know, Chris Dreger out there playing solid for my fantasy team. Uh, is this this might be a this looks like a good year for Florida for once? I have a question. Which team is going to yes. sign Chris Dreger to a, a six year, thirty six huh. million dollar contract in the off season? Uh, let's see. So maybe uh, the Blues. Bennington's up. They won't really have any goalies. They'll be looking. They'll be looking around. Maybe maybe the uh, Canucks. No, like ah uh, uh, yes. If they what the hell throw some mm. shit at the wall, you know, like. <laughs> You know, if you you have Holtby, you have uh, Demko, and you add Dreger to the mix. So you have three mediocre goalies, all overpaid. Well, except for Demko. Um, two overpaid goalies instead of uh, one. Yeah, why not? All right. Why not? Uh, <laughs> and then third in the division, Carolina. So we have those three southern teams at the top. Tampa, Florida, Carolina, and Chicago Blackhawks, led by oh, Kevin Lankinen and also Patrick Kane to quite the degree as well. Uh, Chicago, though, they have been 
winning pretty much all their games against the teams that suck and have been losing pretty much all their games to the teams that are better than them. Uh, which, I mean, when you have four teams that suck, it'll get you into the playoffs. So I don't think they're complaining too much about that. And funny, similar to the North, those four teams are all 620 and above in points percentage. And the bottom four are all under Bettman 500, which is pretty impressive that half the division is under Bettman 500. Columbus, Nashville, Dallas. Uh, Dallas, who, by the way, ever since they said they'll never stop playing the Star Spangled Banner, are like 1-8 and eight or something like that. Uh, and Detroit. Detroit, who uh, has shown very little uh, improvement, at least in terms of wins and losses, since last season. Sporting a 327 points percentage, tied for the Senators uh, for worst in the NHL. Beautiful. Um, yeah, what's what's the deal with Dallas, man? Like they completely fell off a cliff, didn't they? Like like cliff, cliff. Like they had such a great start to the season after like having half the team on the COVID list, more than half. Um, but now they've fallen off. I guess it's the anthem course. We can call it the anthem course at this point. Uh, yep. They're pretty firmly in in terms of point percentage, uh, like down there. You know, like in, out of the playoffs, the doldrums. Yeah, like not, like not even just out of the playoffs, but like points percentage wise, like significantly out of the playoffs compared to like Chicago. So I guess yeah, you mentioned it. You play a bunch of dog shit teams in the Central, but like if you can take care of business, it seems like the other teams uh, below them, like Columbus and Dallas, can seem to be taking care of business. And uh, yeah, Kevin Lankinen, eh? Who would have fucking known? We, we everybody's talking about how Chicago's gonna have the worst fucking goaltending we've ever seen in our lives, ever in the history of the NHL, um, <laughs> but apparently not. Because uh, Kevin Lankinen to the rescue, this nobody. Uh, and, uh, like, uh, who was it that entering the season? Like, Colin Dahlia and some other and Malcolm dudes. Subban. Um, yeah, Malcolm Subban. Like, never heard of him. Never heard of him anymore. It's just, it's the Kevin Lankinen show. That's pretty cool. I respect it. Yep, me too. Very nice to see a goalie come out of nowhere. There seems to be at least Hell one yeah. every year. Mass Mutual. Oh, shit. I said the name. Uh, uh, no, I, I was going to never say... All right, everyone, if you're listening to that, forget you ever heard me say the name of that corporation uh, or any of these corporations, and uh, don't buy anything from them. I don't even know what that company does. Anyway, East Division. Boston on top, 690 points percentage. The New York Islanders, they just never go away. 667 points percentage, their second place. And then we got Washington and Philadelphia all with pretty impressive records. And Pittsburgh, sitting outside the playoffs right now in terms of points and points percentage, they're 13-9-1, which isn't such a bad record. But when you have uh, Buffalo and New Jersey so terrible at the bottom of this division, then you're going to get a team with a good record from beating up on them that sits just outside the playoffs. Yeah, and I saw something interesting on Twitter. Uh, Somebody mentioned that the Bruins have yet to play the Sabres this year. Um, So they've been, uh, you know... Beating teams that are better than the Sabres, which is uh, the rest of the division. And now they'll soon, at one point, they'll be uh, playing them like 10 times or some shit like that in a span of like 20 games, right? Uh, so uh, if you're a Bruins fan, already first in the division in terms of point percentage, uh, the best is yet to come because, uh, oh my goodness, do the Sabres look freaking atrocious. Uh, everything's on fire. Their, their only hope, their only bright spot in the season, I would argue, was uh, or at least one of the only ones was Linus Elmark, excellent goaltender. Uh, well, you know, maybe not excellent. That's that's putting it too much. But he was holding up out there. He's out for the long term. And now they've got like I don't freaking know who they have playing. They have Carter Jonas Johansson, a bunch of yeah, a bunch of nobodies, right? So uh, you know, and, and so you know, we talked about it last week, right? 
it's just uh it's just how it is in buffalo and uh yeah it's 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 it's, it's clearly i think a five-way race at this point for uh, the playoffs the rangers are bad I, mean, I don't think they really hold a shot uh compared to the five teams so it's like really the penguins the flyers the the caps and the islanders and the bruins uh mm-hmm. one of those teams as you said uh gonna be, not gonna be a bad team probably a playoff caliber team uh left out of the playoffs yeah so about the sabers before we move on to the uh, last division um i think it was thursday or wednesday maybe he had a bad game uh ristolainen uh rasmus ristolainen and a lot of people were speculating it looks like he's not 100% recovered from all the COVID stuff that he went through, the terrible experience. And I think someone brought it up to Ralph Kruger, and Ralph Kruger basically was saying things, like confirming that, like, yeah, he had a really rough time uh, with COVID, and everyone was expecting him to be like, yeah, so he's going to rest on Saturday. But he said, we expect him to bounce back. What? Bounce back? Why do you expect him to bounce back from that? Uh, and... And then on Saturday, yesterday, with that crazy Matthew Barzell goal, did you see he kind of just flew by Ristolainen, and Ristolainen looked like he stood absolutely no chance. And I don't think that's just because Barzell is better than Ristolainen. Like, I think it's probably uh, dangerous for Ristolainen's health right now to be playing at the NHL level after, you know, all the symptoms that he described he went through. Uh, so, yeah, kind of worried about that, to be honest. Yeah, it's that hockey attitude. It's very problematic, you know, uh, tough it out. And all that, but when you're dealing with a disease like this, uh, you don't really know what's uh, full effect. Yeah, you got fucking turnstile. He looks like slow out there. He looks sluggish, and it's just, uh, it's not. He should not be playing. Like, come on now. Like, it's COVID. It's not like he pulled a groin or something, and you're pretty confident he's fine. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, you know, the pandemic disease, and he's out there like kind of brushing it off, and that's, it's a bad look. It's a bad look, and you know. We've already seen an NHL player. Sees a, he's, he's a, Alex Stalock was in the news recently. He's developed a heart condition as a result of COVID. Um, and he's been out for like six weeks now. And that's, you know, fucking scary. It's fucking scary. The, the guy's in the prime of his uh, prime condition, human condition, uh, being a professional athlete. And he develops a heart condition. Um, inflammation of the heart. Uh, so, uh, yeah, all that shit, it's not to be taken lightly. Especially when you see so many COVID cases. I saw Crosby caught COVID, or at least, or maybe not positive COVID, but he was a, a close contact, so he's out for a little while. And uh, yeah, so I, I saw that uh, the American players in particular are getting uh, starting to get vaccinated, uh, NHL players, because uh, their rollout has been like pretty effective, especially compared to Canada. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, but it's still we're not not out of the woods yet, and these cases they can they can turn south. And long-term effects for these players. We don't know what the deal is. So, uh, yeah, it is It is pretty concerning. Yeah. And last division, the West. Vegas on top, 16-4-1. That's very nice. 786. Are they the t- Yeah, they are the best uh, points percentage in the league right now, the Golden Knights. Uh, things looking pretty good for them. And then we have Colorado, St. Louis, and Minnesota as our 1-2-3-4. Another division... Uh, where it seems like, oh, I guess it's actually, it's not that big of a spread, actually. The LA Kings are kind of knocking on the door. Uh, they're two points behind Minnesota, and Minnesota has a game in hand, so they are sort of within striking distance of that last playoff spot. Yeah, what's the, it, I guess it's Cal Peterson, it's the Cal Peterson effect, right? Uh, in Los Angeles, he's been pretty good, like, he's been way better than Quick, so he's 
kind of become the starter there. But, uh, you know, Minnesota's been playing very well recently, and, uh, you know, they've been, Kaprizov's made them exciting, right? Uh, and yesterday you were, you were mourning the trade that you made where you sent him away for freaking Ryan Ellis. Um, but, uh, yeah, the way I see it right now, it's like it's kind of the two tiers that we, we expect going into the season, right? You have the three. Well, it's actually closer than you'd expect, right? You look at the points percentage, but, um, you know, Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, then you have Minnesota hanging on to that fourth spot. It's pretty expected. And I think it's it, it speaks to the caliber of these teams. And then you have California all in the bottom four. Uh, I would say no surprises. No real surprises. You know, you have uh, you have your Cal Petersons, but yeah, uh, like nothing too shocking. And the Anaheim Ducks are in last place. They're really boring and really bad. I think we did we touch on this during the offseason. Like, when did the Ducks go from like uh, a good team that everyone loves to hate to all of a sudden not only bad, but also probably the most boring and least talked about team in the NHL? Like, what do they have going for them? Trevor Zegras, I don't know. He hasn't scored that much in the NHL yet. John Gibson, uh, I mean, he had a hot start. Uh, but then now since the rest of his team sucks, he has pretty bad numbers too. They have a, a ton of injuries, especially on defense. I noticed the other day. I think like Lindholm and Josh Manson are both injured, and so now their defense is like, yeah, here it is. Cam Fowler, Yanni Hakanpa is the top pairing. Have you ever even heard of Yanni Hakanpa? Barely. Josh Mahura and Kevin Shattenkirk. And then on the bottom pair, we have Ben Hutton and Jacob Larson. So yeah, that's a terrible roster for the Anaheim Ducks. And, uh, yeah, no offensive firepower anymore. Getzlaff is past his prime and in the last year of his contract. And, I mean, besides Trevor Zegris, uh, waiting in the wings, you pretty much just have, like, some complimentary players. Uh, well, and Jamie Drysdale. That'll be nice eventually. But, yeah, Ryan Miller, John Gibson, uh, the Ducks, things just look so boring there. Yeah. I mean, I look at the forward core. It's freaking depressing. Depressing as hell. I mean, there's nobody that, like, you have a bunch of young, unproven guys. Like, you have your Maxime Contois. You have, you know, who else? Troy uh, Terry. Like Isaac Lundestrom. Troy Terry. And, like, sure, young dudes. Um, but nobody's proven. Nobody's really, like, really flashed or anything. And uh, everybody else kind of sucks. Um, like, what are you, like, ooh, Adam Henrique, Max Jones. And on your third line, you know, like, it's. Like, yeah, you frick, man. Troy Terry, Maxim Gautoy, like, uh, Lundestrom, they should be playing in their bottom six. You know, you try to develop these guys. But instead, they've been, you know, kind of forced in these top six roles because there's literally nobody there. And you talk about that defense, like, I don't even recognize, like, two-thirds of the dudes. Um, well, that's not true. But, you know, like, it seems like there's a bunch of these nobodies. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, what the hell happened here? Like, yeah, what happened? What happened to everybody? Did they just, like, all leave? Um, did like, did they not properly stock the roster at one point? They just, okay, we're done. Like, that's it. Um, well, I, guess everybody I think it's a mix old, of like, right. It's a mix of getting old, you know, Ryan Kessler, Corey Perry, and they traded away a lot of their good young defensemen, you know, uh, yeah, Brandon Montour that's, that's gone, Sammy Vatnin gone, Shea Theodore off to Vegas. Uh, and it looked like they had a good prospect pool. Uh, and now they're just kind of like, eh, yeah, I guess they're just, they're okay, they're fine, but like no star power anywhere to be found. Um, that's the story with the Ducks. All right. Um, so that 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 uh, concludes our standing segment. Uh, still yet sure to does. be unnamed. Still yet to be sponsored on like all of these divisions. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> all right. This week, uh, it's time for a quiz. It's been a couple weeks since we've had one, yep. uh, and so yeah, let's do it. I've prepared it. 
and let's get into it. So, you know, done a pretty standard quiz this week. Uh, there's been trade deadlines kind of in the air. You know, it's a month away. You know, things getting spicy. You know, who's on the block? We see we started to see these lists come out like, oh, trade bait alert. Uh, you know, trade bait. How many times have we seen that? Those that combination of words. Um, but uh, yeah, I just want to test your memory on uh, last year's trade deadline, which feels like uh, a million years ago. Okay. Well, this will be a fun one. All I right. think I'll do pretty well at this. Okay, sure. So I've got uh, nine questions. I'm going to say, like, I'll, I'll one of them's I'll make it worth, like, nah, nah. It's, it's, it's on nine. It's on nine. I'll make it on nine. All right. Okay. Uh, how many do you think? How many do you think? Seven. Seem to... Seven. Okay. That's... That's a solid call. Very ambitious. Okay. So, uh, all right. Hmm. Okay, so we'll start with the Habs. Uh, the Habs traded away a number of players. Um, name all four NHL players that they traded away. This isn't just on deadline day, right? It's like the week leading up no. to oh, it. Oh, yes. I, I forgot to specify. Yes, 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 yes. So it's uh, the period, the eligible period. It's from February 1st to February 24th. Oh, like the whole month. The wow. The whole month. All right. Well, uh, they traded away Nate Thompson, Nick Cousins, Marco Scandella, and Ilya Kovalchuk. All right. Jeez. Jeez. Easy. Easy primer. No brainer. Um, that's four on four. Okay. All right. So they also uh, made a bunch of AHL trades, uh, and they received... Three AHL players in particular, name two of them. Name two of them? Well, um, Aaron Luchuk, they acquired in the Matthew Pekka trade, as well as um, in that trade with Pittsburgh, the Italian Spices, Joseph Blandisi ah, and Jacob Lucchini. There we go. Perfect. So you got three on three. No bonus points here. But yeah, I was wondering, do you remember about the, uh, yeah, the Italian Spices out there? Um, okay. All right. We're off uh, we're off to a good start. Okay. So, there was one three-way trade uh in the month of February. Uh name all three teams that were involved and at least two of the assets. All right. Uh one of the assets was Robin Leonard and another one okay. was Malcolm Subban and nice. the trade involved Vegas Toronto and Chicago. Ah, nailed it. Um, yeah, I don't know how you remember. How do you remember all this stuff, man? Like I like it all seems know. like a million years ago. Distant memories. Um, I looked. I looked through the uh, the cap friendly for this to, to prepare for the quiz. I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot about all of this basically. Um, sure. But apparently, you haven't. So uh, good for you. Okay, thank you. So. Uh, there's only one five-player trade um, between two teams. Name at least two of those players. Okay. This is where things are kind of getting tough. Five-player trade in this month. Um, I'm going through... I'm trying to think if it was like one good player in exchange for four man players, that type of thing. Um, trying to remember some big deals. Uh, no. Okay, let me go through teams in my head. Did involve the Ducks. 
Uh, probably not. The Coyotes, uh, the Taylor Hall trade was like in December, so no, don't think so. Boston, did they do anything interesting? Uh, just a couple small deals, I think. Buffalo, uh, ooh, don't think so. This is tough. This is tough. It's a hard question. That's a spicy one. It is. Am I allowed to pass for now and come back to it later, or does that violate your okay. sure. your rules? Oh, okay, sure. It's, okay. Uh, well, well, we'll reduce the dead air. Um, and you can you can keep thinking about it. Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, there might be. I don't. Think oh, 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 never mind. Fine. Oh, I yeah. thought I thought of one, but then I realized it was 2019. Um, so I was thinking okay. of the trade that sent Derek Broussard from Pittsburgh to Florida, but and like Jared McCann to Pittsburgh and that one, but that was 2019. So never mind. All right, so we're we're still good to go on to the next question. Yeah, next question. Um, okay. All right. Uh, I think this one's significantly easier. Um, who who was the oldest player that was traded? The oldest player that was traded, uh, well, it wasn't Chara. Uh, it wasn't Matt Cullen because he's retired. Uh, oh, Patrick Marlowe. There we go. Very nice. He was back to the uh, Penguins. Back to the Sharks. Or the Penguins, right. What am I saying? The Sharks. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, oh, right. He was traded from the Sharks. Um, yep. Okay. Next up, we have... What was the largest cap hit? Who had the largest cap hit that was uh, illustrated in the month of February? Ooh, all right. Well, it was not Zach Parise because he wasn't traded, even though he was about to be. Um, so not him. Um, let me think. Uh, big contracts. Uh, Pajot. I don't think so because he wasn't on that big new deal before he was traded. He was probably making like three point something. Um, uh, these are trying to get tougher. Maybe seven out of nine was a bit too ambitious, actually. Uh, um, 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 I, I'm trying to think of like the big deals of the day. And for some reason, many of them are no longer coming to mind. All right, who was at the top of the standings last season? Who was near the top making, uh, acquiring big players? Robin Leonard, what was his contract like? It was like $5 million, I think. He was traded to the Golden Knights. Um, who else was maybe acquiring some players? Uh, the Lightning, they've got some cheapo guys. The Bruins got like Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha. Uh, who else was buying big players you know um oh paul stasny i was thinking like because then i remember listening to vegas they cleared up room uh by trading stasny to the jets um was that in the month of february last year i can't i don't think i'll think of anything better any better guess i'll go with paul stasny okay um you mean paul stasny traded to the jets yeah, that was that was in October, um, of like this season. Oh, right? it was, like, wasn't it? <sighs> yeah. Okay. So uh, not quite. Um. So uh, yeah, it was not on trade deadline day, so to speak. It was earlier in the month. Um. It was uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, in a notoriously bad deal, acquiring Jason Zucker, 
Well, the cap oh, hit a right. five and a half million dollars. Um, who is uh, the highest cap? such a bad deal, hit. was it? Like they gave up a first, um, which is yeah, it, I guess. It, like so, which will be this year's you know. first. Yeah. Okay. So, next up, that's that's uh, that's a check mark. Uh, speaking of first, how many first rounders were traded? Like first round picks. Yeah, yeah, first round picks. Very interesting. All right. Um, you know what? I think so. There's one. Pittsburgh traded their first rounder uh, to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Let me go through the 2020 draft and remember what picks were traded and when they were traded. All right. So we started Rangers, Kings, Sens, Eric Carlson. Nope. That was not at the trade deadline. Red Wings, Sens, Ducks, Devils. Sabres, Wild, Jets, Preds, Panthers, Hurricanes. Uh, that was the Leafs pick from the Marlow trade, not at the deadline. Um, 14th overall, uh, Oilers, nope. Uh, then the Leafs picked the Penguins pick from the Kapanen trade, not at the deadline. Montreal, then Chicago. Oh, then, okay, New Jersey had a couple picks. Okay, um, the JT Miller one, not at the deadline. Uh, and where did New Jersey get the, oh, the Blake Coleman. Yeah, that one, that one was at the deadline. That's, that's two adding to the Pittsburgh one. Um, 19th, that was the Rangers pick that traded it up from the flames. And I think that was just theirs. Uh, but the Rangers got that first round pick 22nd overall. Where would they have gotten that from? Oh, I can't remember where they... Who would they have traded to get a first-round pick? Uh, oh, Brady Shea. That's who they traded to get that first-round All right, yep, that was deadline day. All right, we got three right now. Uh, we got the one from Zucker, the one from Coleman, the one from Brady Shea. Uh, then 23rd overall was the Flyers. Then we had... Um, oh, that was the Flames to trade down again. That was the Capitals pick. Uh, twenty fifth. Um, was that the, the, no, it wasn't the Blues yet. Who picked twenty fifth? Uh, twenty fourth was Connor Zary to the Flames. Twenty fifth, Justin Barron to Colorado, not a traded pick. Then we had St. Louis. Then we had the Ducks picking. That wouldn't have been their pick. They would have acquired that from. Uh, was the the Bruins? I feel like I can't. Yeah, the Bruins, the Andre Kasha trade. Uh, so that's four, and then so all right, we have Zucker, Coleman, Brady Shea, and Andre Kasha. Twenty eighth overall. Um um um. Oh, this getting getting kind of hazy near the end of the round for me. Oh, that was the Sens. Uh, and so they would have. That's the Islanders pick. Pajot. All right, five. Uh. 29th, we have Vegas. Uh, I think yeah, that would have been theirs. 30th, Dallas. And 31st, that was the Barkley Goudreau. So six. I really hope I didn't miss one that was traded like a 2021 pick besides the Zucker one. Because then all that hard work would have been for nothing. I'm going to guess six first round picks. Nice. It is six first round picks. 
Um, and yeah, by mentioning Zay, Jay, the, the Jason Zuka question first, completely blew it. Gave you that twenty twenty four, the twenty twenty one pick. That I think I still would have remembered. I think I still would have remembered when remember? I got okay. to, when I got to Pittsburgh's pick uh, that Toronto had. Uh, but but yeah, okay. thank you. Yeah. All right. Six. Very good. Uh, and the next question is related. Name the five dudes who have been drafted with those first round picks. All right. Uh, very nice. So we had. Uh, oh wait, which Devils one was from the Coleman trade? Oh no, oh no. Um, so it was either okay, yeah, okay. It was the 18th overall because Muhammadulin was from the JT Miller trade. I know that. Uh, so we have number one, Dawson Mercer. Number two, from the Brady Shea trade. Uh, the Rangers initially had the 22nd overall pick before trading up to 19. So the 22nd overall pick ended up belonging to the Capitals and when they traded up for it. Uh, and they drafted Hendricks LaPierre. So we have Dawson Mercer, Hendricks LaPierre. Um, the Barkley Gaudreau one was the last pick. So Ozzy Wiesblatt. That's number three, Ozzy Wiesblatt. Number four, Ridley Gregg. Uh, number five, the Ducks took Jacob Perot. Those are the five players. Okay. Um, unfortunately, you did make one mistake. It was very early on. You mixed up the Devils picks. Uh, um, oh. Because oh, Dawson Mercer yes. was taken the JT from Miller the... pick. Oh, yes. The JT Miller pick was the one that they traded for. Exactly. Oh, Coleman. <laughs> oh, I'm such an idiot. I blew went it. Went to Tampa, and then it went to... Uh, Ouch, Jersey. that one hurts. So, uh, oof. Um, that one was of your own doing. And I, and I, as you, as you mentioned the J two Miller, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> where is he making that jump? Uh, we went to Tampa. But uh, all right. So now you're you're uh, you're on. You have no more wrong answers left for you to that you can afford. And we have two questions left. Okay, so we have the one that you've passed on, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, name two players. From the five-player trade between two teams, so not the three-way trade. Uh, and here comes the last question: How many trades did the two Stanley Cup finalists last year, Tampa and Dallas, make combined? Combined, okay. Oh, I okay. I remember Dallas made like only one trade, and it was like a minor league trade of like Emil Juice over to Florida. Uh, so I'm pretty sure just one on their part. Um, Tampa Bay. Well, they acquired Coleman. They acquired Gaudreau. Did they... That's Barkley Gaudreau. Did they do anything else? Um, uh, Watch, they made, like, some kind of, like, one-for-one minor league swap or something. Oh, wait. Okay. Oh, I have to remember this isn't just deadline day. Uh, Okay, well, I guess, yeah, I knew that about Coleman. Did Dallas make any more trades besides just Juice leading into deadline day? I'm trying to think of their You know what? I'll, I'll make... I'll specify because the AHL kind of AHL kind of trades gotta suck. So I'll just specify anyone, any NHL players, or any any trades with NHL players involved. Um not gonna not gonna care about the AHL swaps. Okay, only trades with NHL players involved in the month of February. Yeah, at least one. Okay. So that's the Coleman, that's the Gaudreau. And then so that would rule out the Emil Juice trade. Did they do anything else? I I really don't think so. I'm going to go with 
two. Okay, very good. It is two. It's just a good draw in the Coleman trade. Uh, they also had that minor league deal. Like <laughs> you said it exactly right. Um, one for one uh, with the Panthers, Anthony Greco for Danik Martell. Um, but I don't think anybody cares about that except for Anthony Greco and Danik Martell. Danik so Martell. I didn't think that yeah. was uh, worth ruining the quiz over, or losing the quiz over. So, uh, all right, that's two. Okay, so here we are. It comes down to this last question. There was one five-player trade. Who was part of that trade? Do I need to name all five players? No, I said two. Okay, okay, I forgot. Um. Okay, I'm not sure if I'm that much closer to remembering. Okay, going through the teams alphabetically, my take a real watch. It was like the Jets and the Caps made a deal. Washington, Winnipeg. Um. Uh. I feel like there was like one big deal that like surprised. Yes. Okay. Got it. Trocheck. The Trocheck trade. Yep. All right. Uh huh. There's the one. Vincent Trocheck to Carolina. We were like, "What are you doing, Florida?" In exchange for Eric Howla and other players, including Chase Prisky and E2 Lewis Darnan, and one more. You want to try to get that one more? No. Uh, um, it's probably the second most significant piece. Lucas Walmart. That's um, the one. There we go. Yeah, right. Lucas Walmart. Um. So yeah, very good. All right, Thank so you. You, seven for nine, just made the cut. And that's a that was a hard a quiz. Solid victory, it was. Yeah, I know because it, I figured you'd. Uh, it was just last year, right? I didn't uh, didn't reach back much further than that, but uh, yeah, very well done. A remarkable memory feat. Uh, Thank like, you. Who would have remembered about? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the freaking the fact that the laner trade was three way. I did not remember that. I didn't. I didn't think the Leafs were involved. But, yeah, I remember uh, the Leafs. They're always talking about like, oh, they basically just like paid a couple million bucks for like a fourth round pick or something, or not a million, a couple yeah, million, but like hundred thousand. Um, no, yeah, it's a couple so. mil. It's a couple mil. It was two and a half million dollars. So well, that's the salary, got, ca- but a- actual cash though. Oh um, right, yes, yes, actual cash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. It was just yes. yeah, it wasn't that met that much money. All right. Uh, before we end money the episode. Thing. Um, anyone who yep. listened to last week's episode, you might have noticed uh, the ending was kind of abrupt, and it's because the Zencaster update cut off my audio file like when there was still like a minute left. So I kind of just had to like uh, you know cut off the ending, sort of. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen again. We've reverted back to Zencaster Classic. Uh, I hope the same thing doesn't happen. That'd be a disaster. If it does, we might have to look into switching platforms so zencaster we said nice update when it happened it looked good uh but now we're calling you out all right uh if you sponsored us we wouldn't call you out anymore but now we're just diminishing your brand (laughs) so so maybe consider sponsoring us so we don't ever do that again just saying all right so uh, i'm sure they're listening to all our episodes uh so uh okay is that all uh for this week Yep, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week on March 14th, when it will have been over a year since lockdown began. And uh, we will actually have four Habs games to talk about, including some late games. They play 10 p.m. against Vancouver uh, tomorrow, and then 11 p.m. Eastern start on Wednesday. So, uh, Yikes. 11? Yeah, right? I've Pretty never crazy. seen 11 p.m. Uh, I don't think I have either. What, what, what's up with that? But uh, anyway... Yeah.